Welcome to part two of Nat Chats with her friends on anger. In this episode, I talked to my friend Anne. She was the one that I sat down with first. Before you hear my conversation with her, I want to play the preface that I had everyone listen to as they came into the recording studio so they knew what we were going to be discussing. That will only take a couple of minutes, and then you'll hear my chat with Anne. This is what I'm going to share with each of you before we start recording so that you know what we're going to talk about. I would like to know how you see anger, how it applies to you, how it doesn't apply to you, how you experience it, whether or not you feel it's something you get to choose. I personally feel that I get to choose whether or not I worry. That's very much a choice for me, and I know it's not for some people. So for me, anger is something I don't get to choose, and I'm curious how it lands for you. I also want to know what emotions are associated to anger for you. Do you have any triggers? Are there specific things that if they happen, you end up in an anger space? And if and when you do, how do you get out of it? I think this could be very useful information. You don't have to answer these questions specifically. We'll see how this unfolds. And we don't need to talk long. And at the end, not only will I have something that fills my heart, but I hope to have a bunch of new perspective that's going to broaden my thinking. I believe we're here to learn and we're here to be happy. So this is my attempt to be happy and to be learning from the people I care about most. Give me what you got. I've asked my first guest to come back and record again because I had a technical issue when she was here last time. So my friend Anne is here again. We're just going to do it all over. She's 38. We are coworkers and she's a mom of three. And she has amazing things to share. She had some of the greatest ideas. I'm hoping so much that she repeats herself things that I loved so much. Okay, I like that. I have to just slightly interrupt. I have allowed three dogs in the recording studio today because <laughs> when Anne arrived, all three of them were like, oh, I love you. So there may or may not be random noises in our recording because the dogs are just so happy to be where she is. <laughs> if you don't remember all the things you said the first time we recorded, there are a couple things that I remember that I'd love for you to repeat again this visit because they were so excellent. Let's go ahead and start with something that I think helps the listener know who's here. I would like for you to share three words that you give great importance. I have examples if you need them. Yeah, let me hear some examples. Clarity. I'm kind of obsessed with clarity. And so that is one of my words. It's my main goal when I'm writing to be clear. When I'm explaining something, if I'm teaching somebody something, my aim is to be clear. So clarity is a big word for me in my life when I give great importance. Does that help? It does. So my first word would be honesty, which kind of goes with clarity. Sometimes if you're not clear with someone, it's almost like you're being dishonest. Oh, good point. So I really like to have a lot of honesty in my relationships so that they can thrive and grow. Yeah. Instead of hide in the shadows and ignore 
problems that are there that really should be addressed. Mm-hmm. My second one would be introspection. I, I'm always doing a lot of introspection, especially if I find that I have a problem with another person. I ask myself, why does that bother me yes. instead of they bug me? Yes. What is it about me that mm-hmm. can't handle this? What experience have I had before that is impacting my ability to handle this situation? Yeah. So I need to do more of that, especially being a barista. People bug. Yeah. If I can deal with it in here, then it's not as painful to handle on the outside of my body. Yeah. And I think last time we talked about brain dumping. Oh, yes. And that is a form of introspection for me. If I can just write down all my thoughts and feelings in like a free flow, Mm -hmm. then it helps me really figure out what is bugging me Mm -hmm. and why. Oh, excellent. I feel like I need to give some thought about a third. Do you have three? I actually have tons. You have tons. Yeah. Okay. Genuineness. I value genuineness so much. Honesty, too. An example I've used on two podcasts is wholeness. I don't know that wholeness is achievable, but I want it. Yeah. I want to feel secure. Oh, that's another good one for me because I spent so many years feeling as though I wasn't safe and secure. Now that I'm a grown ass woman, I love to feel secure. I love to tell myself that I'm secure and I love to come across as secure. It makes others feel secure. It feels like an important trait, especially because I am an enabler and I want everybody to be comfortable. That's another word that I would put on my list is comfortable because I have such an obsession with it. So many things relate to being comfortable, like clarity relates to being comfortable. The introspection thing, if somebody I'm dealing with is making me annoyed, then I'm not comfortable. Yeah. But also we can come back to it. A word might hit you just suddenly. So years ago, I actually did my values. Have you ever done that? In like religious classes. So this was different than that. It was interesting. They had me go on the internet and type in values. What are values? It was more just getting to the meat of what your personal values are. And it was almost like a process of elimination where you print out three pages oh my. of values, and then you go through and you circle each one that resonates with you. And then you write those down. I like this. And you do the process again. You circle the ones that resonate the most with you. There's like some kind of guide on the internet where it's like, this is how you get to your core values. And I've loved having those because they have been a guiding light in my life. And if I'm ever struggling with something, I just go back to my values. (laughs) She's showing me her phone. I love this. I keep it. This is why you're one of my favorite people. (laughs) Stuff like this just excites me no end. (laughs) Okay, so my inner core values, we probably should have looked at this from the beginning. Number one. Let's say we have no limit. It's not three words anymore because we have Anne sitting here. Yes. Um, Number one is unconditional love. Number two is understanding. Three is mindfulness. Four is dependability. And five is well-being. 
So those are my inner core values. And then my outer core values are open-mindedness, knowledge, responsibility, intuition, and resilience. Oh, nice. So anytime I'm struggling with something where it's really making me upset, it's probably going against one of my values. Okay. I have homework. I am 1000% going to do this. And this is fun homework. Yeah. You can use like different colors of pens and write the words real big and pretty. Like <laughs> part of me is bummed. I no longer have a chalkboard in here, but you see what I did because I took my chalkboard out. You just I, keep writing on the mirror. I'm writing on the mirror. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I love <laughs> the way you've adjusted. <laughs> oh, I don't know that we should read it because. <laughs> well, and it's hard to read it on the mirror because it shows its immediate reflection. Yeah. Morons are fragile, unconditional, and if you listen, you will hear them <laughs> describe a god that is too. Oh, Mormons, not morons. Mormons. Oh, I like morons too. <laughs> I'm like, what did I write there? See, I write things down just because I, I have to, and then I'm like, I'll come back to it, and I don't come back to it. So what I noticed right away is the conditional, and I take issue with that. Same. I am so against conditions. Mm-hmm. I also am against hardcore belief because nobody can prove anything mm -hmm. to anyone. I had Jackie here and we did a podcast on absurdism. And so she was saying in absurdism, everyone's reality is truth. So everyone has truth and everyone's beliefs are real beliefs. So let's pretend for a moment that we're not saying that. Let's set that down and then I'll say... Every individual has the right to belief and nobody needs to convince anybody of their own belief. It's sacred and it's individualistic and you don't need to knock on anybody's door to tell them what yours is or to convince them to agree with you and then get baptized in water so that the two of you can be like, yeah, we believe the same stuff. That's super conditional to me. That's like saying, as long as you're on my page, then we're good. And that's not okay with me. I feel like... Anyone that I gel with can believe anything they want. What matters is that we gel, mm -hmm. that we get along, that we have fun when we're together, that we laugh. We don't have to have the same core beliefs. I don't have conditions. A lot of people do have those conditions. And looking at that thing I've written on the mirror, a lot of people who have conditions are also very fragile. Mm -hmm. They can't handle someone disagreeing with them. It's not because their beliefs are so strong, which is how they present themselves is so hardcore is that they're literally so fragile they can't handle anybody else saying something that contradicts them i have people i know in my close circle of family members who are religious that i'm pointing to i'm not pointing to the general populace or anything i'm pointing specifically to people i know really well i didn't mean to turn that into a whole tangent but yes Unconditional would be one of my words. Yes. And I was thinking about one of my values, which is open mindedness. And these fragile and conditional people are closed minded individuals. Their barriers around their brain are so thick that other ideas can't penetrate that. It's not safe for them to have yeah. new ideas because they don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Like my brain has four boxes. And if you're saying something that I can't put into one of my four boxes, it's not acceptable. Yeah. It doesn't meet the conditions 
that my brain needs in order to function. As you're saying that, you reminded me of a podcast I was listening to yesterday where he was talking about various religions and he was being specific, but I'm just going to go ahead and say various religions. And he pointed out something I'd never really thought about before. And that's that so many religions believe if you don't worship what they're worshiping, that you're worshiping the devil. It's like either or. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't agree with me and believe what I believe, then you must be worshiping the devil. And that's so conditional. That's so close-minded. No, actually, no, not even close. Not believing or worshiping one does not default me to the other. Yeah, there's some people who use their beliefs as a way to control other people. Mm -hmm. And I don't agree with that. Yeah. I it, have a real hard time with that. Yeah. That does make me very angry very fast. It does. Me too. To be on topic. It mm -hmm. does. It will upset me so quick. Anyway, let's move past our three words. Thank you so much. Those were excellent. Let's start the whole anger conversation with, are there words you associate with anger? For example, I talked about this with Rainy, harassment takes me to anger. And so if I'm feeling harassed, bam, I get to anger so quick. So that's just an example. Are there words that get you to anger or that you have attached to the word anger? Let's just elaborate. Selfishness. Uh -huh. That one is always hand in hand with anger for me. So is injustice. Oh, yes. I'm very quick to anger with injustice. And I'm very quick to anger with injustice for you. I'm very quick to anger with dishonesty. Yeah. Especially when I know the truth and someone is trying to convince me that I don't. That makes me feel very upset. Yes. Yes. Don't tell me who I am. Don't tell me how I feel. Don't tell me what I see. Don't tell me my opinion isn't the right one. Don't tell me that I'm thinking something I'm not thinking. Yes. I am on board with that. Also, as soon as somebody decides anything for me, chooses my words, insists I don't know something that I do know, I almost took over. I'm so sorry. You're okay. I'm nodding along. Like I feel like a fire in my throat when one of these three things happens mm -hmm. and I know the anger is settling in. And I think last time we had talked about righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Does that sound familiar to yes. you? I like to say that I have righteous anger. It's been a while since I've had like an irrational anger, but I know that I have experienced that as well. My irrational usually has a trigger that something somebody's done and I don't need to be so upset about it. And then when I find out it's not as bad as I thought it was, I can calm down. So I do understand the irrational anger. I had an experience maybe like this time last year, my son was offering Oreos to everyone but me. And that's my favorite cookie. And I got irrationally angry at him. And we had to like sit down and talk about my behavior. <laughs> did he sit you down or did you sit you down? We all sat down as a family okay. because it really needed to be addressed. I was throwing a fit over not being offered an Oreo cookie. And it was just irrational. Like, I think maybe it may have been like 
ladies time induced where i think i deserve a damn cookie and you'd better be giving me one or i'm gonna throw a big girl fit no but also i'm just going to side with you right here you and i both care a lot about being respectful yes as we were saying just before we started recording when somebody's reading your text messages over your shoulder that's not respectful so a lack of respect is included in that. So I very much can relate to that being a trigger too. So are we saying that my anger was justified? Kind of, <laughs> but it could have been irrationally large. <laughs> I, yes, yes. Hormones in me kind of does take me to irrationally upset, but justified. Yes. In a small portion, justified. Yeah, where I'm like, you could have avoided this whole mess if you gave me my favorite cookie. (laughs) Instead of giving it to everybody else and acting like I don't exist. (laughs) Was he doing it on purpose or just ignoring you? Just didn't mean to ignore you. Didn't mean to ignore me. We were walking out the door and he was handing out treats. Okay. Yeah. We both know that's not going to happen again. (laughs) Are there any more words you have attached? I feel anger in weird situations. If any kind of animal is being intentionally hurt or neglected, I feel very angry. Uh Uh-huh. Harm. Harm. Triggers anger. Ooh, yes. Harm. I like that. That's the perfect word. Harm triggers anger. Yes. Um, one question I have written down here. Can you explain, whether you agree or not, can you explain why people say anger is a choice? And then elaborate on whether or not you agree with that or you're, you're on both sides of the fence. So I think people say anger is a choice so that they feel like they have more control over when they get angry and when they don't. But it's not that black and white. You can choose how you respond to your anger, how you handle your anger. I think that you can try to be angry less of the time. Like if you're committing that I want to feel happy most of the time, then you're going to start doing things in your life to promote happiness. And then I think you would have less situations in which you would have angry feelings. But I still don't, I still don't agree that it's a choice. Yeah. In my podcast episode, Is Anger a Choice? I use a severe example of rape. And let's just say somebody taking control over you and doing something to you, you didn't get to choose. They were the one choosing. Whether it's rape or whether it's something else. They choose for you. You have to experience something you didn't ask for, didn't want, didn't anything. And then you're expected to not be angry. It's ludicrous. It is. It's ludicrous. I feel as though, although it's an extreme example, it makes the point that I'm not living on this planet alone. So I'm not just randomly going, I'm going to be angry. I'm responding to an event of some sort. Even if it's just somebody saying something, I'm responding to it. I'm not just going to choose anger. One of the reasons this comes up is because throughout my childhood, and this sounds like I'm being a hypocrite, 
but actually it's a paradox. <laughs> it's not hypocrisy. My father constantly chose anger over things he didn't need to get mad at, seemingly so that he could explode and hit us. So it was like he was giving himself all these excuses. Oh, I'm angry. So now I can just lash out. So I can see not all instances of someone getting angry aren't a choice. I watched him choose it over and over and over. But just as you said a moment ago, it's not black and white. Yeah. This isn't at all black and white. There's thousand grays. So I think that if you look at anger as a neuro pathway that you can go down, that's when it's a choice. If you start feeling your brain going that way, this is making me angry, and you choose to go that way, that's when it's a choice. So, so the event is small enough or slow enough or something enough so that you get to have the acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. this is making me angry. Now what do I choose? And some people who are mentally underdeveloped, they don't even realize that there's an alternative pathway that you can take in your brain. They just always go down the path of least resistance, no matter what the consequences are, because it's too hard to develop a new neural pathway. It takes work to stop in that moment and say, I don't like where this path goes. I'm going to build a new one. Wow, that makes sense. And that's such an intelligent way of dealing with emotion. It takes practice. That's why people tout the benefits of meditation. And I've had to do that in the past. I can consistently see that when my children's father behaves like this, my natural tendency is to respond like this. So now I got to meditate and I got to tell myself that the next time he does something super stupid and selfish and inconsiderate, this is what I want to do instead mm -hmm. and just kind of start growing that neural pathway. So it isn't a choice mm -hmm. for me because I know I'm going to feel angry, mm -hmm. but I have to choose which way I want to go. It's easiest to go on the path of least resistance, but that's not what I want anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't. Even though sensibly after what has transpired, anger would make sense to feel that. I think that I can actually use that as a reminder. If I can make an intelligent choice right here, it's not going to be anger. I always want to be sensible. Sensible is one of my words. Yeah. Oh, that's anger an excellent. for me is such a big emotion. I recognize it as soon as it happens. And step one is acknowledging out loud to someone near me, I am angry. Just saying that Just helps. saying it. And then they know that I'm in an angry state and it kind of holds them accountable to make sure that I am doing good decision making. But also it warns them, don't make it worse. Mm -hmm. Don't make it worse and help me deal with this yeah. in a rational, calm manner and in a way that I'm not going to regret later. Yes. Yes. That's a huge part. But you have to have someone in your life that you trust with that kind of thing. So the last time you were here, you told me about something that you do that I thought was ingenious. And that involved the whiteboard. 
Would you please tell me all that again? Yes. So my understanding of it is that it's dream boarding. Okay. I think that's what it's called, making a dream board. It might have a different name, but it's when you take whatever is bothering you and you write it in the center of your whiteboard and you put a circle around it. So I'm trying to think of a good example. What if you put anger? Anger. Is that something you would put? On there? Um, it would normally be a situation that is causing angry feelings. Okay. Or anxiety or stress. So it's more like a situation. A situational thing that is causing big emotions that I'm not handling well and that this is going to be playing out for a while and I got to get it sorted in my mind. And the best way to do that is for me to put it up on a whiteboard. Okay. So I can determine what parts of this situation can I affect and what parts are out of my control and what do I want to have as the outcomes? So let's say that the court stuff that I am dealing with right now is making me very angry and it does. Yeah. It makes me angry. Yes. I often feel like this huge rush of anger because of the injustice of it all. Mm Mm-hmm. The unfairness, the lies that are being told, and the way that I am being portrayed. And I know that none of it is true. Yeah. So I would put court in the center and circle it. And then I would do a straight line, which is basically a branch breaking off. And then I would name someone or something that is contributing to the main problem. So I'll put, like, my attorney's name and then put a circle around that. Or the commissioner's name. Or the commissioner's name. And deal with the things that they're doing that is causing me to feel negative emotions. And I put those things off of their names. Mm -hmm. Then I also write the outcomes that I would like to see happen. There's Mm -hmm. this TikTok where this girl's like, it's called manifesting. Look it up. Have you seen or heard of this? I have heard that, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of what you're doing. You're organizing your thoughts in a visual way, getting it out of your brain onto a board, acknowledging what's bothering you and manifesting the outcomes that you would like to see. And it does help me deal with some of these huge emotions that I have, but the majority of the time it's out of my control. If it's okay, I want to give an example For your situation, although I won't give a lot of specifics, because it just makes so much sense to me, but I have inside information that the listener doesn't have. So the example that you can't control, that you would like to have a better outcome, that you're upset about, that justifiably so, that you're writing down, the commissioner said you needed to end your children's therapy with a therapist that you thought was really amazing and that was doing really great work. Yes. But some outsider with an authoritative power gets to decide that this really awesome therapy happening for your children has to stop. And so I just want the listener to really know we're not talking about anything that Anne has done wrong that someone with authority is labeling as wrong and is doing something awesome and someone with authority has the power to end it so they do for no good reason it doesn't make any sense for the children no. either 
And it's an oxymoron where they say the children need therapy. They can't be in this therapy that you chose. They can only be in the therapy that we choose. Yeah. Despite being the mother who sees the benefit, who lives with the children. And a part of me wants to go, no offense to the commissioner, but almost offense to the commissioner. You're a really intelligent mom. You're a very aware mom. You're not some clueless individual. We're not dealing with a generic, I don't care about my children, mom. You have incredible kids. And it's because you're an incredible mom. So the whole ex-husband wants one thing. County commissioner is siding with the ex-husband. Really awesome mom doesn't get to have a say. That's, for the listener, why I get so angry for you also. Yes. Because injustice is just so hard it is to swallow hard. It and, is. and it is anger inducing. It is. And that's why I have all of these coping mechanisms because there's so many things happening in mine and my children's lives. And it's like, they're just happening to us. Yeah. We can't yeah. get away from it. It's out of our control. We have to yeah. learn to live with it. Yeah. Lawyers, county commissioner, people with authority, ex-husband with money. All these people have physical reasons to have power, not sensible reasons to have power. And power shouldn't even be part of this. It really shouldn't. We're talking about children's mental health and a father who isn't mentally healthy. So anyway. It's very frustrating. And I like how you use the term anger inducing. Just out of nowhere, I'll think about the things that have happened or the things that are currently happening and I'll feel that fire Mm. right here in my chest and I have to decide, am I going to get angry about this and send a super nasty message to him on our court-ordered app or am I going to just figure out a way to cope with these feelings? You're a bigger person than me. Well, I have to be because every single decision that I make has an impact on these little people that I'm responsible for. Yes. And the consequences for my decisions are colossal compared to just even an average mother. Yeah. My immediate thought, I can't be an average mother. I certainly can't be an above average mother like you. (laughs) And that's in huge part why I'm always so sympathetically angry and upset that you have to go through stuff that's so unnecessary and deal with anger that's so unnecessary and that even your children's words don't matter. Why are we not listening to the children? Well, the court has told me that I am a liar and that I coached the children to say all the things. Prove it. Yeah. Prove it. It's scary. It's it really is, scary. Where it is, I don't... especially when a little girl who is actually, she's not super coachable. She's not. <laughs> and she comes out with stuff about her dad that people should be listening to. Not insisting she's not saying and that you coached her to say. Yes. Oh, it just upsets me so much. Very difficult to wrap your mind around. I lose a lot of sleep over the things that I have been told I am, and I know I'm not. 
This is all stuff that would make me so angry. I, I would lose it. And by lose it, I don't even know. I would probably not be living somewhere outside of a mental institution. That's how big a problem anger feels for me, that if the roles were reversed, I wouldn't be as kick-ass as you are. Like, not even close. So you have to keep in mind that I also did the ketamine therapy. Do you remember when I went through that? I remember that you did. And it is life-changing. Okay. It's difficult to describe, but if you go in with the intention of working on something specific, like in my situation, I needed to work on not letting my ex-husband and my oldest child impact my decision-making anymore. And that was a lot of knots to work out inside my brain. And the beauty of the ketamine is that it eliminates all emotions. Oh. And you just kind of work through your crap and untie the knots. I want to throw in the word abuse because the relationship um, with your ex-husband, he was abusive and your oldest being so much like him was abusive. And so I can understand what you're saying, even though I, I have no experience with ketamine. I can understand what you're saying about the need to have a tool like that, that takes the abuse out of the equation. Yes. Takes out the fear. Yeah. It takes everything scary out and it kind of turns it from like a Venus fly trap and you're the fly. <laughs> to like a little daisy and you can look at it and be like oh you're just a stupid little daisy uh-huh okay you, can't, you wow. can't eat me anymore you can't bite me anymore oh that's so good to know i'm not sitting here saying wow i need ketamine therapy but i don't know that i don't need it it has its place and if it's right for you then you'll know uh -huh. so i had experienced too much trauma. And my brother and I were talking about the ketamine therapy and the way that we decided to describe it was when you go into your session, think about your mind like a piano keyboard. And you know that you really need to work on middle C. Okay. Middle C is something that induces anger. Okay. So you go in there to work on that middle C and you come out having tuned and fixed every single C key on the board. Oh, okay. And the same thing happens if you go in to work on the D key, the D in the very middle of the keyboard. Okay. It just fixes all the Ds across the board okay. because everything's interconnected. I feel this angry response in multiple situations and with multiple people. So if you can fix that one response, then it fixes wow. like a whole bunch of things across the board. Okay. I do know somebody who has regular ketamine therapy. Uh, she and I don't talk often enough for me to have info about how it goes or anything. Now that you've said that, it opens up a bunch of questions for me to ask her too about her situation. She has PTSD. I don't know necessarily what her trauma is or your trauma is. Um, I do have PTSD of my own. So maybe this is a good idea for me. It made it so that I could cope better. 
I don't know how to describe it as anything other than untying knots in your brain. Okay. Where it's like well, you're it, trying to move through a neural pathway and you get stuck. It makes sense that life is going to tie knots, though, mm -hmm. in your brain. That absolutely makes sense to me, especially the way our childhood dictates our adulthood. And hardly anybody, let's say over 30, had a good childhood. <laughs> it just seems to be the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope children are having good childhoods now. <laughs> But when I talk to people that are my age, uh, that I went to school with, yeah, everybody's got some awful stories and it's just the way life was, you know, people were far more hard hearted, let's put it that way. And the children suffered, you know, Gen Xers talk all the time about, we just had to deal with it, whatever it was. Nobody's home when you get home from school, you, you just have to deal with it. There's nobody to watch you. Yeah. You watch yourself. There's nobody to make food for you. Yeah, you make your own food. You figure it out. You're being hit and thrown around all the time. Well, it is what it is. I don't think that makes it any easier when you finally reach a tipping point. I'm going to go ahead and call my anger issues my tipping point. And so now I have to do something about it. And talking to friends is my most recent idea for figuring it out. I think that's excellent. It's a really good idea because this is a therapeutic process that we're going through in the exchange of thoughts and ideas where I keep getting hung up in the process is people saying, you need to forgive. And that I heard a thing on TikTok the other day where they said the reason forgiveness is so hard is because you are choosing to pay the debt that someone else owes. And like, that's also injustice to me, which is why uh -huh. anytime someone says you need to forgive that, <laughs> like you need to go away. I actually have too much to say to even contribute. <laughs> like but we so don't, we don't have all day to turn this into Natalie's opinions on forgiveness. I so I'll just stop ketamine. right there. To get away from this forgiveness idea, because I am maybe maybe I'll be able to do it when I'm a little old lady. But part I, of me just believes it's religious bullshit. I well, part of me. Yes, and then but then there's these other therapists, like doctors, that are saying this will help you, but only if you can do it. And I know I can't. Well, although I said I wouldn't elaborate, I just do have this to say. Um, on forgiveness. I think forgiveness is trying to be assigned in places where we're using that word wrong. The application of forgiveness is when somebody does something, you are harmed in some way, they acknowledge that and apologize, and then you forgive. I like that. So forgiveness is after cause and effect. Cause happened, effect happened, apology was given, forgiveness was applied. So it's a really specific way that forgiveness can exist. So to just say to somebody who has PTSD, who's never been apologized to, who's only heard excuses and reasons and, and maybe not even that. No, forgiveness isn't, isn't the thing. There isn't a word for what this is, but you telling me to forgive is like telling me to drink Kool-Aid. 
Why? Like, it, it doesn't fit. It really doesn't. So and if I just drink the Kool-Aid, everything's fine, huh? No, it isn't. No, because there's like a deficit that has to be made up for. And that happens when someone apologizes. The deficit doesn't go away because you say, okay, well, I'm going to take the responsibility for this. You can say that all you want it still doesn't change anything. Whereas I have said so many times, thank you for apologizing. That's what I needed. Think of any situation where somebody genuinely apologized, how everything fell afterwards. I had a friend once come to me after probably a year and a half of the friendship ending and he apologized. I have a podcast episode on this. I burst into tears. I didn't know I needed an apology, but the giving of the apology felt like putting everything right. I didn't even have any control over that. The power was in the apology. The acknowledgement. It's that individual's responsibility to apologize. And if they don't, well, it's kind of like a hole in the ground. If they don't apologize, it stays a hole. If they apologize, the hole gets filled and you can walk across it. There's no hole anymore. So in that moment, my heart filled up. My heart filled up with gratitude for the apology. That would not have happened without the apology. I'm not going to have gratitude. I'm not going to realize this is what I needed. I'm, I can't just apply forgiveness and fill the hole. So did you also feel respect for the person who apologized? I did. That fixes the relationship because before the apology, you couldn't respect them anymore. And yeah. <laughs> when someone tells me you need to forgive this person who consistently hurts you and your children again and again and again, I'm thinking about your example of the hole in the ground. The hole just keeps getting deeper and the dirt just keeps going down. Frankly, you don't have the power to fill it. Mm -mm. Anybody can insist, forgive, and you'll fill it. The dirt will become there based on you. No, it won't. You didn't dig the hole. Somebody else dug the hole. So the dirt isn't even in your backpack. The dirt is, is in their backpack. They're the only ones who can put it back. Backpack is a stupid example. But they're the ones holding all the dirt to put into the hole. You don't have it. It's not something you have access to. They're the only ones that have access to it. And so to insist that forgiveness is the dirt is ignorant. It is ignorant. And I also feel like the expectation that I stand and look at this hole and wish that I could fill it is ridiculous. Yes. I, I do a lot of pretending like the hole isn't even there. I walk away from the hole yeah. where I'm like, this, I can't stand here and look at this anymore. I'm going to focus yeah. on more positive things. And that's my only coping skill is to say, I am going to consciously walk away from the hole because the hole isn't mine. I don't need to stand here staring at it. All I can do is walk away from it. That won't fill it up. That won't fix it. That won't anything. But it allows me to keep moving. Mm-hmm in the direction that I should be moving, which is on with my life. 
I love this whole analogy. I am exactly on the same page as you with forgiveness. Apparently forgiveness also makes me angry. (laughs) You know, anytime anybody has said that to me related to my dad is you just need to forgive him. I feel like what an ignorant person you are to even say that. Those words don't come out of my mouth, but that's what I feel. You clearly don't have experience in this field or you would know forgiveness can't be applied when no apology has been given. So there's this Kesha song where the lyric is, there's some things that only God can forgive. And those types of holes are the ones that I walk away from. And that is for the higher power to deal with. Amen. Because perfect. that is beyond my capabilities yeah. and beyond my responsibilities. But also you would have to be a God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. To fill the hole. You the would have to be a God. The only way to get that person to apologize and fulfill the requirements of forgiveness is to get a God to make them do it. It keeps coming into my mind, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. When I had the conversation with my dad that exploded my anger that I refer to as opening a can of worms, or me stepping through a door I can't step back out of, he never once said sorry. He just made excuses after excuses. And it wasn't the type of excuse like, but I just da 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 da. But I just da 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 da. He would say things like, I never hit you. Oh, so you hit everyone but me and I just imagined it. You threatened to kill everyone but me. No. Another thing he said. So you're saying all the problems in your life are my fault. Uh, nope. Nope. That's not at all what I'm saying. So there was never like any kind of an apology. It was just more narcissistic talk that triggered me further and further. And the lack of understanding continued to just be lack of understanding, lack of understanding. When I've mentioned therapy, he turned it into, so you're ruining my reputation to this person you're talking to. And I just kept going, oh my God, oh my God, I am wasting my breath. I'm wasting my breath even talking. And yet I was so angry. I couldn't just hang up the phone. At any point in that hour and three minutes, I could have hung up on him and didn't. I don't know why. It didn't even occur to me. The anger just kept building and the bullshit coming out of his mouth just kept coming and constantly making me go, I don't believe what I'm hearing. Are you kidding me right now? Like, are you fucking kidding me that this narcissistic conversation just got even bigger? And you're calling me because you want to know if we're ever going to have a relationship again. Oh, good God. The stupidity triggers me to anger alone. Yes. The stupidity alone of the initial question. My anger has a thousand legs now. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) It's like the world's worst spider. Yes. (laughs) I feel like I'm getting so intense. I'm, I'm backing down. I'm backing down. So 
but you get it. You I totally do, get it. I do. The inability to take responsibility for your actions is so anger-inducing. Yeah. And all of these holes, I can't just go, oh, I forgive you. Yeah. Oh, I forgive you. <laughs> oh, you just said that? <laughs> oh, I forgive you. You kind of created a crater here. <laughs> we are now on the moon. Yes. And it's impossible. <laughs> Oh, holes everywhere i'm so sorry now that's why i say you know even just my own experience and this isn't me dealing with my children as much as i love my dogs i can only imagine anger created related to my children because ultimately when i make a comparison against natalie's anger with her childhood versus the anger of being a mother and the childhood of her children being harmed these are two very different scenarios, and I can't even imagine how much anger I would have being a mother in these situations. But you have so much empathy for it because you had such a difficult childhood. You don't want to see that hurt being perpetuated mm -mm. for even a child that's not your own. Correct. And I could see you as Evelyn 20 years from now having a very similar conversation that you had with your father and her getting that exact same gaslighting, misdirecting, no apologies, victim blaming, no apologies. Here's all of my reasons that I treated you like trash. You deserved it. Because or you shouldn't be bugged. Uh-huh. Even if you didn't deserve it. Like he doesn't, my dad doesn't talk like I deserved anything. He talks like, I'm just bugged for no reason. Oh, gosh. The stupidity. And like, <laughs> it has 10,000 legs. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> oh. Maybe that's actually a really good analogy. When something is too much like stupidity, instead of, instead of labeling it, just say to myself, it's got too many legs. Mm -hmm. It has way too many legs right now. It has five heads and too many legs to count. I need to walk away. Uh, I got to somehow get away from this. <laughs> oh, the legs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We got whole analogy, which I love that. That's excellent. We got leg, leg, leg analogy. Yeah, I'm imagining like some kind of amoeba. Like the anger is an amoeba or the stupidity is an amoeba. No, I did see it very much like a spider. Yes. Because it's all the legs of a spider that like, I can't even handle crabs. Ugh. It's the legs. The way they move where it's like, that's not natural. Yes. <laughs> Let me just return to the fact that I'm doing something with my friends I've never done before. I've never gone to multiple friends and said, I have a problem that alone I've never done, nor have I said, would you be willing to sit down with me and help me? Let's talk about it. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to get input. Give me what you got. Because I've never done that. I've never experienced the generosity of friends saying yes. It is the coolest thing because the people I call my friends are the type of people to say yes. I know that already, but to get all the yeses and then get to do this, to sit here in my space where I'm comfortable and I get to benefit from perspective, 
completely outside of my thought processes and my experience. It's so amazing. It really is so amazing. And after I recorded with you, I recorded with my friend Sherry and Sherry said to me, I haven't edited her episode fully yet. So I don't remember if it was recorded or not recorded, but she said, after this series, you really need to do a series on joy. And I was like, that's exactly where my mind has been going. Because if I'm going to give anger this much attention and energy and involve my friends, I need to balance it out. And not that I'm not getting joy in doing this. This is also very much about happiness and benefit and friendship and reciprocity and great things. But I'm really excited with this idea to do another series on joy. Because again, I'm going to hear all new things related to other people's lives about joy. I got my own joy nuggets and hearing other people's nuggets is going to be so cool. So if you're willing to be part of the next series on joy, I would really love that. So I just had a couple thoughts as you were talking about this. I would say that the reason you got so many yeses is because we're all experiencing the same issues that you are, but they just stem from different places. And it's actually really ingenious of you to be getting input from other people because that just gives you like a wealth of knowledge and information to draw from like, hey, this one thing works for me, this one thing doesn't. But look at everything that I've learned and can utilize to help me with this problem that all of my friends are having a hard time with as well. I actually didn't know that. It was when I sat down with my friend Christine, that she said, I'm struggling with anger too. And I'm like, you are? And she's like, I'm going to need this series so much because I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know where it's necessarily coming from. So I didn't even know. I felt a bit isolated in my anger issues. And it's only when I get really bad that I will reach out to somebody and send a text. Hey, can you talk? And that's not often that I, I even do that because I feel in my anger, I'm, I'm ugly. I'm icky. I'm a burden. That's probably the best word. And I don't want people to see me that way. That isn't the person I want to be. That's not the person who I am the majority of the time. And so asking for help in that space isn't something I want. But in having done so like this in a comfortable space when I'm not actually angry, this just feels so useful, so healing, so beneficial. So you said that you are generation X. Yeah. I'm an X ennial where I have experiences and life teachings from both sides of those two generations. And consistently I have seen it's especially generation X. There was no exploration of anything but happy emotions when they were children. If you were anything other than content, relaxed, or happy, we don't discuss it. We don't acknowledge it. You don't have those feelings. So you get all these ladies in their 30s and 40s that are like, I've been hiding my anger my entire life. Mm. 
Now I'm halfway through my life. I don't, I don't even know that it's happening when I'm there and I don't know what to do with it. So I just do the exact same thing that I've always done, which is go down this one neural pathway. I get the same results. I do the exact same things. Is really unhealthy the way that we were raised. That was the word that I had in my head. So unhealthy. Yes. And then you said it. Yes. So a part of, you know, my maturing and growing in those really big and loud emotions that we were told to hide and act like didn't exist was acknowledging like healthy, justified anger and unhealthy I don't know that I want to use the word unjustified anger, because normally anger is just, unless it's... For a sensible, healthy person. Yes. Anger is justified. Yes. Yeah. So, but there are some people who get angry for unjust reasons, and then they do unjust things, which perpetuates more anger. But I'm really glad that you are doing this podcast, and I'd be really happy to participate in the next one so that we do have that nice balance. Cool. It'd be interesting to see what the other ladies say about joy, because a lot of women from our generation were also not to experience anything wonderful. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to just like put our heads down and work and do what we're told and be good little girls. Actually, it never really even occurred to me because I was such a severe enabler, married to an alcoholic. I was always worried about everyone else. Are you okay? Are you okay? And the alcoholic was a type of narcissist where nobody mattered but him and his immediate. And so what he wanted was number one. If he offended somebody too bad, but as an enabler, I'm like, oh, oh, he meant, he meant this. Uh, 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 are you okay? Like, and then he gets offended by something somebody else says. And I'm like, no, 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 they meant, they meant this. And it's actually exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so I was always exhausting myself. But in the role of an enabler, that was my life. I didn't know differently. I didn't. What I thought or felt was last, absolute last. I was always making sure everybody was okay. Are you okay? Like he didn't, he didn't mean that. And, and what she meant was this. And I was always just trying to make sure everyone is fine. So I got more and more unhappy. I'm falling apart and not understanding what to do because I'm not on the list of important people. So what do I do as I'm falling apart in pieces? And it was then that a friend of mine said to me, you know, you're an enabler, right? And I had always thought that that was like, oh, if I'm an enabler to an alcoholic, that's here, here's a beer. And that's not it at all. So learning that I was an enabler, it was like falling off a cliff with a really hard hit at the bottom. But I was no longer up on the cliff. I was at the bottom able to walk in any direction I wanted to. And it was then that I realized this was my whole point where I was going and taking way too long to get there. It was then that I realized I had turned off excitement. I had been disappointed so many times that if given an opportunity to be excited about something, I didn't choose excited. And it took quite a few years actually to heal that. I kept having to experience this wall of excitement right next to me and go, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I can't lean on that wall. And it was actually something we were talking about the other day at work that made me go, Oh, yeah, I've healed the excitement thing. I love to get excited now. And it's no longer a scary thing because the inevitable letdown just isn't there now. 
So spoiler alert, that's going to be absolutely part of my joy series for my perspective is the healing of the ability to get excited. And I'm not there yet. You're way ahead of me on that. I am still in the space where it's not safe to experience excitement. It's not safe to be happy at good news because there's something in the works. Yeah, you're always going to get kicked. Right behind that. I don't know, maybe in a decade from now, I'll be able to allow myself to feel excited about things again. Well, honestly, what healed it, this is an oversimplification, but I'll go ahead and do it, is learning that nobody was going to keep disappointing me by having nobody to keep disappointing me. You know, I begged for him to drink less alcohol a thousand times, 10,000 times, and then to always get canceled on. We were going to do something fun. Oh, no, nope. alcohol is more important. Okay. So that ended. I even had to end a friendship who kept canceling on me when we would make plans because I couldn't handle all the canceling. I was like, can't do it anymore. And that's another sign for me that I have healed the excitement part is because I'm no longer so devastated when somebody cancels. Like it's just no big deal. I'm just flexible now. It's not even a thing. Somebody's like, hey, something's come up. And I'm like, all right, catch you later. We'll, we'll do it another time. And it totally doesn't even matter. Whereas I couldn't even handle it before. Not that I had a little bit of excitement, but that I just couldn't handle all the disappointment. Do you feel like it's because you're far enough away from it? Or do you think that it was like a series of things that you did that allowed you to heal from it? It's because I'm far enough away from it. Okay. Yeah. I'm 11 years from it because I'm 11 years divorced. That's interesting. I just said it would be like a decade from now. Uh -huh. that That's I, why I was yeah. like, yep, it might be. Jeez. But there is a but. I'm not just now doing the excited thing. I've been doing the excited thing for a while. So I'm, I'm only saying that 11 years from the overwhelming disappointment that stopped the excitement. To say it took five years is entirely possible completely possible that it took five years to be okay with excitement again. But I've been, I've been good with excitement for a while. Good. That gives me something to look forward to. You're so amazing. <laughs> I insist on healing. That's yes, I do. I really, I insist and I want to heal everything that isn't okay. And I feel like there's plenty in life that isn't okay. Physically, emotionally, every direction. It's just, okay, let's heal this. Whatever it is, can I heal it? I think you're well on your journey to the wholeness that you are trying to achieve, right? Didn't you tell me in the beginning that that was one of your words? Yeah. And e you even said, like, that's not really something that can be achieved. But if you're always working towards it, like, hey, yeah. I acknowledge that. It's like the yellow brick road. Yes. Okay. Maybe there's an end to the yellow brick road. That doesn't mean I shouldn't be moving down the yellow brick road. Because I don't know if there's an end to it. And if I'm benefiting from being on the yellow brick road, well, keep going. Yeah, I feel that. I have to go to a murder mystery. Oh, nice. Yes, we're going to go to a whodunit at oh. the library. Oh, nice. Yeah. That sounds good fun. I try to do just like normal everyday things in between the insanity. I've noticed that about you and the kids that you find things that make me go, oh, wow. That's living life. I just That's try, cool. like it, 
it is kind of a coping. It is kind of a distraction, but it helps. If nothing else, it's showing your kids what normalness is. Yeah. And that's what I want for them, where it's Uh like, hey, all this drama that is happening over here, this is not acceptable to me. I don't want you to live in this angry space and in this unjust space. Where even authorities don't have your best interests at heart. Yes, yeah. Like, in a perfect world, we would be experiencing more joy. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I'd love to come back because I have so much to learn about it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming here and then coming here again because of my recording issue. So thank you so much. I have a feeling that we have forgotten something that was really awesome from the first sit down, but I don't remember what it was. I just know that you kept blowing my mind with great ideas of how to cope with anger and... Oh, the box. Oh, yeah. You told me about your box. The box is a cool concept. We'll just talk about it another time. Thank you so much for coming and sitting with me again. It was my pleasure. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you. (laughs) You're an awesome friend. Thank you. You are too.